And we'll be in that this morning, continuing looking at the words of Christ in this Sermon on the Plain and uh, what, what makes a true Christian. How do we know whether or not we truly know Christ? Well, how do we view ourselves? How do we view Christ? How do we view others? That's kind of what we've been learning together. And by next week, we'll finish this sermon together and move on to another awesome account of something uh, that Christ said and did. So Luke 7, again, um, how we view ourselves, we view ourselves as poor, spiritually poor and bankrupt, and out of that flows this hunger and weeping. Uh, We won't review all that. Hunger for Christ and his presence, a weeping over our own sin and where we are in relationship to his holiness. And then how do we treat other people? We know that we'll be persecuted for um, our commitment to Christ and our faith. And so uh, how are we supposed to react to those that uh, treat us badly? And we're to love our enemies, pray for those uh, who abuse us. And we mentioned all that last week. In the section today, verse 37 to 42, uh, there seems to be a lot, of, um, a lot of allusions to the eyes. And so the title of the message today is Proper Spiritual Eyesight. Uh, many of you uh, probably visit the eye doctor on a regular basis. Those of you who wear glasses or contacts or whatever, you can, even if you don't, you remember staring into that big thing and you see the blinking even even when you're taking a driver's license test you put your head against that and you you tell them when you see the blinking light out of the red you cover uh, you cover your eye with a spoon or something and you try to you try to read the thing and if you have bad eyesight what you do is when you walk into the doctor's office you take a look at that sign and you memorize it real quick and, you know, and then so you can cover your eye and you can read like the lowest line up there um you know, they bring that big spaceship down in front of your face and they, and they maneuver it right here and they're doing all these levers and they, you know, you know how they do, they, they do, is number one better or number two better? And you like, they, they all look the same. So you just start throwing out random numbers or whatever. But the Bible does have things to say about not our vision, but our spiritual vision. Passage in John 12, verse 37 to 41 quotes from Isaiah when it says, he has blinded their eyes so they couldn't believe the gospel. Second Corinthians 4 tells us that Satan blinds the minds of unbelievers so they cannot understand the gospel. Second Peter chapter 1, which is a favorite passage for me, says a person who forgets that he is born again and the way he should live, it says he is short-sighted, even to blindness. He, he develops this spiritual myopia. Well, in this passage... There is a lot about eyesight. If you just kind of glance through it, and we've already read it, he talks about the blind leading the blind, and he talks about somebody having a piece of dirt in their eye or a plank in their eye. And there's other allusions to it as well. And so what Jesus really is talking about here is what, for a Christian, what type of things can we learn about our spiritual vision? How do we look at our enemies? How do we look for a leader? How do we look at ourselves? How is it that we perceive others around us? Um, And so this passage continues our look at that sermon that Jesus is giving and how we should look at ourselves and others. Uh, We mentioned, of course, that we treat our enemies with love through our actions, through our words, and in our prayer. And this is done all because of the model we have in the Father, verse 36, who is merciful and is kind and and, uh, merciful even to the evil and unthankful people. So big deal if we love others who are kind to us or who give back, true Christians also treat their enemy with the same goodness and love, even with no expectation in return. So the, I know I'm not, I'm not real happy 
about the way I've outlined the passage, but sometimes time runs out and the titles that I give it are the titles that it gets. So here's, at least these three thoughts will guide us through the passage, okay? Number one, how do we view our enemies? Number two, how do we view the Savior? Number three, how do we view ourselves, okay? And I'm not real happy. I'll tell you right up front, if I was able to have another two days or something, I probably would change some things. But at least it'll, it'll walk us through the passage. How do we view our enemies? Well, that's found in verse 37 and 38. How do we view our Savior? That's found in verse 39 and verse 40. How do we view ourselves? That's found in verse 41 and 42. So the passage breaks up pretty well with those two verses in uh, for each one. So how do we view our enemies? Look at verse 37. Or, oh, be glancing down at your Bible throughout the message and, uh, and keep yourself in the context of what Jesus has just said about how we're to treat our enemies. I think he's still continuing this. When he's talking in verse number 37 about don't judge, don't condemn, instead forgive and give, it's my opinion that he's still talking about our relationship to our enemies. And of course, we can make wider application to everybody. Okay? So how do we view our own enemies? I will say that the answer to that is we forgive. And I know, again, it's not perfect, but I'm, I'm going to give three answers to each of them, and they're all going to begin with the letter F because that helps me to think. It's not just to forgive, but there's other things as well. In fact, when Jesus talks in verse 37 and 38 about how to view our enemies or how do we perceive them, how do we look at them, keep in mind we're focusing on the eye, so how do we perceive them, how do we look at them, how do we view them, he gives four commands, two are positive, two are negative. So if you were doing a Bible study on your own and I said, hey, there's four commands in those verses, two are positive and two are negative, give them to me right now. What are the two negative commands? They come first. In regards to our enemies, what are the two negative commands? You can look in your Bible and give an answer. Don't judge, don't condemn. And then the positive ones are forgive and give. Okay, those are the four commands. Two negatives, two positive. Don't judge, don't condemn, forgive, and give. Let's talk about the negative first. And of all the three, viewing our, uh, our enemies, viewing, our, our, yeah, viewing our, our Savior, and then viewing ourselves, this will be the one that we probably spend the most time with. So negatively, judge not. It's also Matthew 7, 1. Judge not lest you be judged. You know, of all the verses in the Bible, it's all surprising now that they don't hang this one up between the field goal posts anymore. You know, they see the one verse... Uh, in between the field goal posts on the game is John 3.16. But that's almost the second most well-known verse in the Bible now. The first uh, well-known verse by the whole world is Matthew 7.1 or a paraphrase of this one in Matthew, or excuse me, in Luke uh, 6.37, which is judge not, right? Anytime someone is doing something, judge not, ju judge not lest you be judged, right? Don't judge. Don't judge me. Who are you to judge me? What is being stated here in, in regards to don't judge and don't condemn is not a prohibition on making moral evaluations, okay? Because even in this very passage, or in the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about making moral evaluations. Look down to a few, a few verses. We'll get to it next week. Verse number 43. Verse number 43. Look at it. A good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear bad fruit. Now, how is that contrasted to judge not? How is anybody supposed to know what bad fruit is? If we're not supposed to judge, then fruit is fruit. There is no bad or good fruit. In fact, 
It's only bad fruit if it hurts somebody. This is kind of the new, what, what, is, what is wrong? Well, if it's not hurt, harming me or someone else, it's okay. It, it, even in that specific verse, it's telling us that the moral judgments will be made. You will know a tree by its fruit. When we walked out earlier this summer and saw cherries on the, on the tree, we made a more, we made not a moral judgment, we made a judgment on that. We said, that is a cherry tree. We made a judgment. Just like we will make judgments about other people as we see their fruit. That person seems to be, okay, so that, that is not what is prohibited. Deciding something is right or deciding something is wrong. In fact, in this very same section that we're dealing with today, verse number um, 42, it tells us to take the speck out of somebody's eye. Now it does say remove the joist from our eye first, but it does say go ahead and help that person with their problem. Well, don't judge me. Leave my problem alone. So even in the same sermon, we're told to make ethical evaluation. In fact, we're told over and over in Scripture to do this. 1 John 4.1 says, test the spirits. And when you test the spirits, you're testing them to make a judgment about them. In fact, when you come to communion tonight, we hope you judge yourself and make an ethical judgment about yourself. In Galatians 1, 8, and 9, I mean, tell Paul not to judge. If anybody preaches another sermon or another gospel that is not Christ and faith alone, let him be damned to hell. Judge not, Paul. <laughs> and then even in Philippians chapter 3, Paul again says, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers. And again, I ask you, how can we know what an evil worker is if we're not making a judgment about it? So I'm just trying to... Uh, take from our minds that it does not mean to make an evaluation ethically or morally. So then, what is Jesus really saying here? Let me say it this way. I think this was a good way to put it. Not original with me, but I think this is a good way to put it. What is prohibited here is not judging, but being judgmental. Being judgmental. What Jesus is concerned about is the attitude of our hearts. What is being prohibited really is a spiritual arrogance that reacts with hostility towards people that we feel are morally less than we are, and then viewing those people as somehow beyond the reach of God. That is the attitude of the Pharisee in Luke 18, 11. Remember that? The two guys come to the temple, come to the synagogue, and the, and the tax collector is beating his chest, and he's saying, oh, wretch, just be merciful to me. Please, Father, be merciful, a sinner. And the Pharisee over here is saying, thankfully, I'm not like that individual over there. Now, was what that sinner was doing was wrong? Yes, but what the Pharisee was doing was elevating himself to a position of spiritual arrogance. Listen, this is what is being condemned for Christians. It's spiritual superiority. I am better than you because I don't do that. And I can't believe you do that. Okay? This is not only a spiritual superiority, but it is a self-righteousness where we then elevate ourselves above our enemies is there are there let me speak right english uh correct english are are is what they're doing sinful when we look at individuals that are living an immoral lifestyle or are given over to all types of indulgences or are are uh are known as cheaters or adulterers or whatever whatever sin we might fill in the blank are those sins wrong this is, a, this is a softball, beach ball question. Are those sins wrong? They're wrong if they appear in their lives. They're wrong if they appear in our lives. They're, they're wrong. And there's nothing wrong with confronting that sin and saying, listen, that type of behavior is wrong. 
But what is wrong is setting ourselves up high above that person, looking down upon them and making these judgments on them like, you know, I, would, I would never do that. I can't believe what they're involved in. And it's, it's this kind of spiritual snobbery or arrogance. Because as Titus chapter 3, verses 1 to 7 tells us, we were once like that. The verse in verse 3, Titus 3 says, we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving our lusts and our pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. This is a hard-heartedness, a lack of compassion. It is, it is holding people off in their guilt and never pointing them to God. It's viewing people as out of the reach of God's forgiveness. Now, when I, when I think about uh, giving a lesson uh, from God's Word, here's, here's the two things I think about. Okay, so here, what is the text saying? And then how do we, how do we apply it uh, to ourselves? Or, or what, what, how can we then know whether we're guilty of this? Okay, So I think I've, I think I've pretty much explained what I think Jesus is saying here when he says, don't judge and don't condemn. It's not that you can't point out sins or, or talk about the errors of others, but, but it's, it's the idea of the spiritual superiority. So how do we know if we're doing that? And a lot of times I struggle with that part, the application part, but I found some things that were suggested by someone else to ask ourselves, are we doing this, and I'm going to give you a few of them, and if we are, it means we are guilty of being judgmental. Does that, are you following so far? Okay, so ask yourselves, evaluate yourselves about this, okay? Do you judge other people's motives? Do you come to conclusions about why someone did something and then make a judgment about them? Well, they only did that because they wanted to be noticed. You know, they, 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 only, um, they only asked for forgiveness because they... They, they don't really feel like they're wrong. They just, they just, they just wanted it to be over. They, they got caught and they were in trouble. You know, do you make judgments about other people's motives? Do you refuse to forgive others when they sin against you? Because I think the, the positive part of what Jesus is saying in the verse about uh, don't judge, don't condemn, but instead forgive, that's almost in complete contrast to being judgmental. Can you forgive others? Here's some maybe more pointed ones. Do you keep your distance from struggling believers? We can't be around them. You know, they do this. And we don't want to be tainted with their whatever it is. Do you shun people who have problems? Do you criticize others and their sins instead of repenting of your own? Do you spend time on the way home from church or around the dinner table talking about everybody else's problems and sins? If that's the case, then you are guilty. We are guilty of that. Uh, what Jesus is telling us not to be guilty of, judging and condemning. Let's not have this spiritual superiority over others. And I think what Jesus is going to tie into that is because you've got planks sticking out of both eyes too. You have problems too, he's going to tell us. Okay? Positively, so negatively, don't judge and condemn. Positively, forgive and give. This is how we are to view. We are to be gracious and we are to be generous. Ephesians 4.32 says, our forgiveness is supposed to be as Christ forgave us. Sometimes we can, become, we can become so snobby spiritually 
because we see someone fail and sin or we see a habit or, or a trajectory in their lives that we think is wrong and it may be wrong. And then we kind of pull away from them. We, we, we sort of, well, we're not going to fellowship with them or we're going to keep our distance from them type thing instead of, instead of providing the forgiveness that, th- that these people are due just as Christ forgave us. These are drastically different attitudes. I think one way to summarize what is being shared in these two verses is, hey, be hesitant to, to look down on people and be quick to forgive them. Be hesitant to look down on people and very quick to forgive. Don't be so quick to write people off and judge and condemn them for sins, especially because in the context of what is being talked about is these are people who are enemies. These are people who are unbelievers. Again, it doesn't mean that we make moral evaluations about what is right and what is wrong, but we also don't hold a spiritual superior attitude over them. Look at, uh, look at with me with uh, first, is it first Peter? Let's, let's turn to that passage. We have a little bit of time here. First Peter chapter 5. Because the passage says that we will receive or we will be judged and we will be forgiven in the same measure by which we judge, by which we forgive. Okay? The passage in Luke says, give and you will be given, but the passage in Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, says you will be judged with the same judgment by which you use, which is a, kind of a scary thought. One reminder, uh, one encouragement, you find ourselves in 1 Peter chapter 5, um, for not judging, not condemning, instead forgiving and giving, is what Chapter 5, verse 5 says. 5, verse 5. Younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you be submissive to one another. Here's, here's really the section we're concerned with. And be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Those who are um, generous and gracious and forgiving and giving will find God to be that gracious and forgiving and kind in return. Those who are judgmental and condemning and uh, superior and haughty and proud, God resists those people. It's really a dangerous position for us to be in. Go back to the Luke passage. I, I, I know we could have quoted that verse, but I, I thought it was good to look at it. When it says in verse number 38, back in Luke 6, to give and it will be given to you, um, this is, this is kind of a weird phrase because we don't usually go to market and see people pressing down grain. Um, given it will be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running, uh, running over, put into your bosom. That's a, it's kind of a weird phrase. What, what is this talking about? What, what Jesus is saying is if you're a true follower and you treat others this way, the return back to you is going to be abundant blessing that is going to be overflowing. When you, would go, when you would go to the market in these days and you would buy some grain, here's, I, I read this, I didn't live these days, but here's, here's, what, here's what they would do. They'd take this measure, whatever it was, I, I'm imagining maybe a cup or maybe it was bigger than this, and they'd, they'd fill it with grain three-quarters full. Then they'd shake it because they wanted that grain to settle down. Then he'd pour a little bit more in to the top. Now it's full, but you'd shake it again. And that he would be doing this between his legs, apparently, sitting on the ground or maybe on a chair, and then he'd take his hands and press that grain down as, as far as he could. Kind of like if you ever made a sandcastle, that's kind of the idea. You're pushing that down in to make it tight. Then he funnels more in on top of that and hands it to you. 
And, it, and it's, it's stated that when, when people would take that measure, it would be so full that it would be flowing over. And it says in the passage, into your bosom. What that really means is in, in these days, they would be wearing these robes and there'd be like a... Uh, there'd be like a lip on the end of the robe and it might be caught in that lip or in that hem. Other people thought it meant that people would have to go home with the measure with their, with their robe kind of lifted up into their lap. That's the word for lap, bosom. So they'd be carrying the grain home like that. Doesn't that make sense? So it's not like they would try to cheat you out of this measurement and just fill it up and hand it to you. It would be so weighted down that maybe it would jostle on the way home and all of a sudden you'd get home and you'd have all this. You'd have more than you could carry is the point. So what Jesus is saying is when you forgive and give like that, here's what you can expect back. An overflow of blessings that you can't even contain. That God is going to reward the people that act that way towards others. And people who are spiritually superior, who look at other people, and let's be honest, people who are, who are not up to our level of spirituality yet, maybe because they're unbelievers, which, big surprise, they're living like unbelievers, or maybe they're even believers and they just have these blind spots. Guess what? We all have those blind spots. That's what he's going to talk about in a minute. And, and he says, don't act that way. Act, be forgiving like I forgave you. Be giving, be generous and gracious. And you're going to discover that you're going to have these abundant blessings because God gives grace to the humble. I think that's a pretty, pretty encouraging thing for us to, to uh, finish that little section. On. So viewing our enemies, we forgive them. Second, Viewing our Savior. What do we do? We follow Him. We forgive our enemies and we follow Christ. Just briefly in this section, verse um, 40, excuse me, verse 39 and 40. What, is, what connection does this have? Jesus speaks this little parable and says, Can the blind lead the blind? Won't they both fall into the ditch? What is Jesus saying? It's, let me just summarize and then we'll talk about it. Be careful who you choose to be your leader. Be careful who you choose to be your leader. Now there's great conviction for anybody who leads, whether it be your family or this church or maybe you have a position of leadership in business or whatever it is. Because the parable states in verse 40 that anyone who follows you will become like you. See it in verse 40? He who is fully trained, he will become like his teacher. So you become like the people that you follow. So Jesus is saying, be careful who you follow, because if you follow a blind person, you will be talking to the ditch. I don't know if you saw this yesterday, but I, I think it was the first time a Division I college football player who was blind played in a football game. Well, how did that happen? Right? All, he, all he did, I mean, this is kind of his lifelong dream, I guess, to play football, but all he did was snap an extra point. And... I imagine, I didn't see the video of this, I just saw it uh, on the news, I, I imagine that somebody had to lead that guy out to the right spot. I imagine he didn't say, all right guys, let's go do it. And he's the one trotting out because he's like run, he'd be running all over and wouldn't know where to go. If he's the one that leads the team out to the spot, what's going to happen? Disaster will strike, right? So be careful, who, someone guided him. What Jesus is saying is, can a spiritually blind person lead another blind person? Can a person who is spiritually superior don't follow people like that because you're both going to end up in disaster because a person who you choose to follow, you will eventually be like. In fact, when, you follow, when someone follows you, you probably recognize that they barely imitate anything about you that's positive and they over-exaggerate they over anything about you that's negative. 
someone said once that uh, you never see your you never see your flaws perfectly until you see them exhibited in your own children because they do exactly what you do uh, so the example that Christ has set is one of forgiveness and generosity now Jesus was also very quick to point out spiritual phonies okay in fact, that was his, that his, most of his venom was reserved for people who were spiritually superior, where he held out arms of love and forgiveness to those who were struggling. I thought about people who were struggling in Scripture, the woman at the well, Zacchaeus, uh, the woman who was caught in adultery, Jer Jarius, all of these people who were seeking or struggling, the woman who had this blood issue of 12 years. He was kind and compassionate. Yet to Pharisees, read Matthew 23. He's pronouncing woe after woe after woe upon them. But he doesn't, allow them, uh, he doesn't allow these people who he forgave to remain in their sin either. This spiritual vision that Jesus is talking about is a warning. Be careful who you follow. Choose the right teacher. Choose the right example because you will become like them. If you follow individuals who are judgmental and condemning, you will become like them. But let us follow Christ who is giving and forgiving. Third thing and last. How do we view ourselves? Let's finish this. Okay? How do we view ourselves? We forsake our sin. Okay? And again, I told you I wasn't real thrilled about that, but that's the way it played out. We forgive our enemies. We follow Christ and his example of forgiveness and generosity, and then we forsake our sins. How do we view ourselves? This is verse 41 and 42. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not perceive the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me remove the speck that is in your eye? When you yourself do not see the plank that is in your own eye, hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck that is in your brother's eye. Now this should be convicting to each one because the tendency here, uh, if the tendency in um, the first two verses was, you know, don't be spiritually superior, and the next two verses is be careful who you follow, then these two verses would be um, avoid the tendency to point out other sins while ignoring your own. You've heard this passage before. The speck is a small splinter of wood, uh, a piece of chaff, a, a tiny uh, particle of dust, where a plank is not just a, a board, but it is a beam or a rafter. I mean, this is classic sarcasm, sarcasm by Christ. Some of you were here when we, um, when we gutted this auditorium and remember carrying out the floor joists of the balcony that were 15 feet long and weighed 200 pounds. That's the type of word that Jesus is using. Then you go downstairs where someone has uh, sanded the, the drywall dust and you have maybe a speck of drywall dust. So this is the example that Christ is using. You're going up while you have this joist, this rafter you know, problem in your eye. You can almost envision it as a cartoon, a comic strip, and you're going to go up to someone and say, hey, you've got a small problem here, let me fix that. Christ is saying that the tendency that people have is to, is to totally over-exaggerate the sins of others and ignore their own. It's like falling into a lake filled with mud and, and coming out completely dripping of mud and going up to somebody and saying, oh, you spilled a speck of chocolate or something on your shirt there and you're pointing that sin out to them. It's a complete uh, spiritual ignorance. So let's not miss the weight of this. In fact, I feel, the, I feel the weight of it even as I prepared it and even as I'm sharing it, that the tendency is to underestimate our own sins. 
We don't identify our lust, our anger, our gossip, our laziness, our indulgences, our pride, our bigotry, our hatred of others, while we're quick to point out and state the faults that other people have. This is not to be. But this, is, this, is, this could be uh, one of the greatest areas of weakness that we all struggle with because not only is it easy to point out other people's sins, it's also kind of fun. Because it makes us feel better about ourselves. I don't mean that it's fun to discuss sin, but it sure, it sure is a lot more fun than going to the Lord and asking for forgiveness for our own sins. Do we spend, this is, this is a convicting thought, do we spend more time confessing our sins or thinking and talking about the sins of others? Now it doesn't mean we're never supposed to confront sin because the passage says once you take care of the rafter that's in your eye, then go and talk to the brother about the piece of dust that is in his eye. But until that point, deal with your own problems first. The whole warning in all of this is a superior self-righteousness thinking too highly of ourselves and too lowly of others. They, they demand forgiveness for their sins from Christ, but they refuse to offer forgiveness to others. It's just like the parable, and Christ is so wise course when he when he shares that parable of the guy who owes the king millions of dollars oh please please forgive me and, and the king says no problem forgive him then he turns around and goes find someone who owes him a small amount of money and beats him up and submits him to the torturers until he can repay he comes back and this is a, this is all indicative of what christ says you will be given the judgment that you pass out and that guy says why did you do that you're going to jail now the warning is don't be self-righteous so here's our spiritual vision. View others, our enemies, with a heart of forgiveness, not a spirit of judgment. View Christ as a, follow, as, a, as a Savior who is worthy to be followed, and then view ourselves and our sins um, and, and, help, and ask the Lord to help us forsake those sins and not live in a state of self-righteousness. Well, that's what the Lord has for us today. Let's uh, bow our heads and commit these things to him. Our Father, we thank you uh, for your um, generous and gracious forgiveness, for your, um, for your, uh, your quickness 